0: Yeah, it's just good to fellowship, just to get around, and just to ask how you're doing, how we could pray for each other. It's been good. You know, we we ought to pray for the Begalsos. Um As you know, Ellen's mom has uh, passed away, and so she's writing a eulogy, and she's kind of nervous for it. And um, Mike's gonna read it for her. So I thought, as a church family, we should pray for them. Um, by now they should already be in the Bay Area, um, so why don't we pray for them and then pray for the Word of God before we start our new book, Second Peter? So let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, I'm my heart is still singing. How sweet and awesome is this place? And we're talking about where the people of God gather. Those of us who. Sing to the same Savior who loved the same Savior, who worshiped the same Savior. In our hearts, there's, there is, for the believer, no greater joy than giving glory to Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be expanded in our lives, magnified. That as we seek in all areas of our lives to worship you in our words and our actions and our reactions in our thoughts that they would be wholly given to you we do long to see your churches filled Lord that folks would come to know Christ and his love that they would walk with him walk in joy walk with the savior we pray would you use us in this short life lord if we haven't been on mission i pray you would nudge us towards that by by your spirit there are tons and tons of people around us you said to the disciples that the fields are already white with for the harvest Therefore, ask for more. Beseech the Lord of the harvest for more workers. We pray, Father, for our dear brother and sister, Mike and Ellen Begall. So we pray for Lily and Noah. God, as they are going, they are believers in a family, in that family, that extended family. Lord, how difficult it is for Ellen, our, our dear sister. We pray that it, even as a body and individually, we would lift them up. It's a difficult thing to write a eulogy. And so I pray you would give her wisdom, give her the right words, give, them the right, give her the right, right scriptures, and allow Mike's voice to read it out loud with clarity, with passion, with fervor, with accuracy. May the gospel ring out. May there be a witness for them. We pray, Lord, even as we start this new book, Second Peter, we pray that you would do it's you would do your work in us, that surgery work through your spirit. Lord, how we love to Hear you and to praise you, we love that. We ask, help us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I'm going to need a clock. I am preaching from paper today. Let me get my phone. Oh, yeah, give me a watch. That's fine. And I could read your biometrics too. All right, okay. So now, now it's all locked. I don't know how to use these watches, man. Okay, 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 11.50. I'll just touch it, okay. All right, there we go. Now it's face ID. Okay, okay, okay. I just, I don't want, I want to respect your time as well, okay? It's dangerous when you have a preacher without a watch. <laughs> so dangerous. Would you turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. We are going to the book of Second Peter. I thought as a compliment, uh, some of you are missing the prequel uh, because you're not in college and career or COA ministry. Uh, Andre has been faithfully expounding the glories of 1 Peter. And I thought we would go through 2 Peter. Um, this is the second epistle that Peter himself wrote. And I, I think that oftentimes when we when we go through difficult times. There is a cross between 1 Peter and 2 Peter. There is a transition. Where 1 Peter as Andre has been teaching. How there is external opposition. How the saints of god how are they going to react how are they going to live in this life in this world when there is external opposition to them when there's we would call that persecution the crossover between first peter and second peter is now second peter's whole focus is not on external opposition but on internal opposition What happens in the local church? What happens when there's false teachers? What happens when there's division? What happens, and how do we deal with it? How are we to think? And I think, I I have heard some horror stories. Um, Some of you have shared them. We don't come from all backgrounds, of which I am thankful for. I am glad that we've come from different backgrounds, because that means God is working. We ought not be a homogenous people of the same background, same economic status, same ethnic backgrounds. But we ought to be a people that God, by His grace, chooses and comes to well, bring us together as a body. Having said that, some of you have come through some horrendous, I would say, church experiences. Our brother uh, our brother, shared last night, um, I mean last Wednesday, how he has went through some horrendous church splits. Others have said there's been some horrendous... Things where there's sin that was allowed to fester and the elders did nothing. Uh, Many of you have said that. And for even a small church, Peter is writing to this fragmented church. And his whole emphasis through this is, if you know Christ, if you have his word, you have everything you need. Sometimes you may not feel like it. I mean, this is some intense problems from without, from within. How are we going to deal with this? And a body that is dedicated to the word of God, dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, has hope for the future, has strength in the now. So that's the cross between 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Sometimes you may think, I don't know how we're going to get through this. There has been so much damage, so much hurt, so much pain. These false teachers have come with their heresies, their false teaching. They've upset the faith of some. And that's what Peter is dealing with. And yet in 1 Peter, I mean 2 Peter, 2 Peter, he encourages the church once again. This is probably a year after he wrote 1 Peter. And this is probably near the end of his life. You know, Peter was probably, most likely, crucified upside down. He was to be crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. So he said, crucify me upside down. That's what tradition would have it. But before he did, he wrote this letter. And he says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And our prayer this morning is that through his word, God desires to remind you just how precious your salvation is in Christ. We get lulled into thinking these problems. And I, I don't want to minimize, or trivialize whatever trials you are going through. We will weep with you, we will pray with you, we will try and give you as much counsel as we can wherever you are at, wherever God has you. But having said that, how do I know that the believer can make it? How do I know that the believer can persevere? because he has given you this rich salvation and sometimes we just forget sometimes we just forget it's that precious where in first peter the pressures were external opposition as i said in this book it's internal opposition in first peter the problem was hostility from the outside In 2 Peter, it's heresy. I got this column from one of these uh, commentators that I read. In 1 Peter, it's antagonism. In 2 Peter, it's apostasy, leaving the faith. In 1 Peter, it's endurance. In 2 Peter, it's steadfastness. And the difference would be uh, endurance is keep on going. Steadfastness is holding on to the truths that we were taught that we believe the doctrines of the faith. In 1 Peter, the emphasis is on waiting. In 2 Peter, the emphasis is on warning. Many Christians don't know that much of the Christian life, there has to be warning. Warning that there's a false teaching coming. Warning that there is dangers to the body. In fact, if you say that there's a warning, sometimes people say you're unloving. I know this is a strange thing but if you say you know you got to be afraid of false teaching but they say they're a Christian but what do they believe? Oh you're unloving Angelo. What? I'm just asking what do they believe? What do they teach? Peter tells you to not leave your intellect out at the door but rather bring it in. Be a discerning mind. Think about what's being preached. Think about what the scriptures say. First Peter would talk about suffering. Second Peter talks about error. 1 Peter talks about submission. 2 Peter talks about knowledge. 1 Peter talks about comfort. 2 Peter talks about caution. 1 Peter talks about the hope in the Lord's return. 2 Peter talks about confidence in the Lord's return. 1 Peter talks about holiness and maturity. 2 Peter teaches about holiness. 2 Peter teaches about maturity. And last, 1 Peter would talk about pain with a purpose. Isn't that right, Andre? There's a purpose. God doesn't waste anything. Whereas 2 Peter talks about poison in the pew. That which is dangerous to the very lifeblood of a church. So when he talks about this salvation, Peter starts out with this grand declaration of what we have. And I think we only, as I was delving into it, I think we only have time for one. There are three, but there's one. But there are three aspects of your salvation you can celebrate and relish in to remind you of its preciousness. We're going to go through the first one, and I want to save the two because I really want to lean into sufficiency with a lot more time and its applications to the here and now here in Oceanside. What does that mean to live in the sufficiency of your salvation and in Christ? I don't want to rush that. So, number one is the foundation of your salvation in verse one. The foundation, of course, is Christ Himself, Jesus Christ Himself. And in verse one, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Simon Peter establishes Himself as the writer, He is the one who walked spent time with Christ himself and so he's going to be especially qualified to talk about the foundation of the Christian faith of your salvation we know Simon comes from the Hebrew Simeon and Peter comes from the Greek Rock Petra and both names he uses to establish the authenticity of the letter Simon Peter has got a lot of lessons for us He's one of the 12, and the first, the first lesson he teaches as the foundation of our salvation, even in just establishing his credentials, he's not just going to write, oh, this is some anonymous letter. Peter says, no, I am Simon Peter. I was with Jesus. This is only about 35 years after he died and was resurrected. Jesus was di- died and resurrected. So he's a little bit older, but he says, this is me. And he says, I am a bond servant. A bond servant. It's interesting. Why would this be a? Uh, this doesn't seem like a selling point to salvation, Angelo. Right. I'm a bond servant. It's a word du loss. It means quite literally a slave. It's amazing. Simon Peter, one of the twelve, one of the 12 of the church. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave. It's the lowliest of positions of obedience and submission. The slave. When Peter said, Simon Peter, one of the fathers of the church, the apostle of the church, the one who was with Christ, he says, he says it to clearly lower his own status. Even in this culture that he was in, he lowers himself to basically maybe a little more than an animal because the owners would move slaves from here to there. And in society, it was demeaning. But it's amazing. In Christ it's honoring the the slave to kind of give us perspective is someone the slave of god is someone who is thoroughly possessed by god someone belonging to god it is someone to be condition unconditionally at the disposal of god unqualified whatever god wanted him to do just as an earthly master had power over life and death of his slave so does God God can send him here and there and do what he wants with him the loss of God the Christian the slave Peter calls himself has no rights of his own The slave, Simon Peter writes of himself, says, was to be obedient at all costs. He is to be constantly serving God. And at that time, slaves had no time of their own. You don't get PTO as a slave. No days off. No holidays. No PTO. All of it belonged to the master. And so too with God, brothers and sisters. And Peter reveled in this. Notice he's not ashamed of saying this. He reveled in this and he gloried in his position and to serve his king. He was not ashamed, neither to be a to believer or unbeliever that he served God. And I think the lesson in the night that Jesus was betrayed, and even as his he stooped down to wash feet, I think this lesson to Peter. Ingrained itself in his memory. How dare I think any more of myself? How dare I think that I have arrived at a certain place? Brothers and sisters, how dare you think, how dare you think you look at someone with those kind of eyes, haughty eyes, looking down at someone? Are we not to be slaves of God Himself? What's even more astonishing is the next word that he says. Simon Peter says, I'm a bondservant, but I'm also an apostle. This is a unique title for Simon Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. Can you imagine the first words that the church heard? Oh, we got a letter from Apostle, we got a letter from him. And Peter says these two words. Doulos, and apostolos, a slave, and apostle. Though he saw himself as the lowly slave, he also saw himself as having been commissioned and sent forth as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what's an apostle? We've gone over this a couple times. The true apostle in its technical sense, the way it's being used here, Peter uses it, Paul uses it in its technical sense. An apostle of Jesus Christ is a unique office. It is someone, as Acts chapter 1 has told us, is someone who is chosen by God, someone who is commissioned by Christ, and someone who has seen the resurrected Christ. That is why we would say, in a technical sense, we don't have any apostles today. I would greatly differ with someone who says, I am the apostle. Now, here's the astonishing part that this word apostle is right next to the word, juxtaposed right next to the word bondservant. And what Peter is establishing for all of spiritual leadership. Brothers and sisters, if you are discipling. Sisters, if you are discipling. Brothers, if you have home fellowship groups. If you're interns. If you have any influence over people. Moms and dads, if you have any influence over your kids. Husbands and wives, if you have any influence. I think the model that it establishes here is both the lowliness of a bondservant. And the dignity of the apostle at the same time. They are, not a, they are not contradictory, but they're a paradox. And that's how we should serve, brothers and sisters, one another. Submissiveness, serving in the background like a doulos, and dignity, the importance of the authority delegated to the apostle. And this is what we call being a servant leader. Simon Peter sees himself as that. Do you see yourselves as that, brothers and sisters? A servant leader and now he moves on and this next phrase is, is amazing this next phrase he says to those who have received of the same kind as ours so now Peter we know his story he, he got saved he was following Christ he denied Christ he was restored to Christ And he preached Christ. And so now Peter is saying. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. So who's he talking to? He says to those. Uh, If you keep your finger here. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think our college and career. Our COA group can already probably say the countries now. Because they've been fluent in 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 I think. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's all of Asia Minor. They're just spread out. So what Peter, the audience that Peter is writing to is the same audience that he wrote to in 1 Peter. Uh, You can go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. These are the same folks. These are aliens scattered throughout the persecution. These were folks who because of the persecution they have come to Christ. Both persecuted by Jews and persecuted by Gentiles. Through imprisonment, through torture, through seizure of property. Family members were split up. There was capital punishment. Some died, some were killed. These believers fled for their lives. And they were scattered all over this this certain area. And they started to form... Many small churches gathering together. And Peter says, I got to encourage them. First, I got to encourage them because unbelievers are attacking them. And now I have to encourage them to be discerning. To keep their minds sharp. To state a doctrine. To not waver. And so he writes the second letter right before he dies. This is still... At the time, contemporaneous with the history. It's only probably 34 or 35 years after Christ. It was still fresh, still still verifiable. And so he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Notice how he talks about faith. In its essence, brothers and sisters, when we come to Christ, it is a gift by God. It is a gift from God. He says, who have received, the word therefore received is selected, chosen to receive. The word word means to receive by divine allotment. And what he is saying is that this faith, this wonderful faith that you have in Christ is not some mere, oh, I agree to certain facts. Oh, it was me out of all of my friends. All of my friends didn't want to follow Jesus, but I did. Because there's something good in me. I have the wherewithal. I have the, I have the intelligence. And, and Peter says, no, no, no. Brothers and sisters, all glory goes to God because you received it. You received it, not due to human effort. This is why Peter is talking to a supernatural people And this is how we ought to see each other. That if in fact they have professed Christ and are still continuing in Christ. That is a supernatural miracle that God himself did. We are sharing the gospel and I've talked to some of you. Why is it so hard to share the gospel with people? Because in ourselves we can't do it. In ourselves, we can't save people. In ourselves, we can't change people. God has to work in their hearts so that they receive faith. Amen? It was not my natural goodness, for I have none. But rather, it was on the kind and sovereign purpose of God. So this is why Peter writes this. You've received a faith. Now, In the original, this is without the article, typically with the article, not at all times, when the Bible says the faith, that would mean the system of Christian doctrine and belief. Uh, In Jude, uh, it's written like that, once and all delivered for the faith. But here, rather, I believe, from the text, it means a faith, referring to the power of That God gives to an individual to believe the gospel and be saved. And this matches more with having received this faith. It is a faith truly that is received, that you receive from God. It's literally a faith that believes the faith. In other words, the gospel is given. Somebody shared it with you. At some coffee shop, you've heard it in some sermon. You went somewhere and the gospel was given. And you heard it and it didn't make sense. Or you heard it and you understood the truth of it. But you would not bow the knee. You would not truly believe. You could even agree intellectually with the truth of it. Did you know that? You could actually do that as a person. You could believe that Jesus actually died on the cross was buried and was resurrected and not be saved. How can that be? You don't hold it in a salvific sense. Your belief is not seated in Christ himself. So what happens is as the gospel goes out, that is your responsibility, dear saints. That is your responsibility to give the gospel. As the gospel goes out, we pray that God would give them a faith like ours. That should be your mission. That, that's what I'm about. That's it. Parents, don't ever let this go. If not you, who will pray like that? God, I pray my kids. I pray my children. I pray all of them, wherever they are, I pray that they would have a faith like ours in Christ Paul believed this this work that God does when he truly saves someone you cannot stop it You ever notice how some folks I don't know if you've noticed this in your lives but when you share the gospel some folks you keep dragging and pulling and pulling and pulling and they They say, yeah, I'll hear, but they don't really want to hear. They don't want to come. They don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to submit their lives. They don't want to listen to what you have to say. And then there are others when you share the gospel, Christ gives this gift of faith and it comes down with power. And you cannot stop them. I always want to be with believers. I always want to serve. I always want to be encouraging someone. I always want to be doing this. That's salvation, brothers and sisters. And let's quit calling it something else. Because that's confusing, isn't it? And he says here, this faith is, is literally, this is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans chapter 1, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. So what happens is the gospel goes out by your lips, brothers and sisters. If you are faithful, brothers and sisters. The gospel goes out and God gives the power to believe. That gospel, that that Peter came to understand. He, being a Jew, he knew that he was made in the image of God. He knew the Old Testament. He knew that man had sinned and he was separate from God himself. He knew that the Messiah was coming. He didn't know how it would look like. In fact, he was kind of confused until God himself allowed Peter to see. And Peter believed in the gospel. He believed that Christ was the Messiah. He believed that he'd be the sacrifice for sins. And in believing, Peter was saved. And you can too in an instant, brothers and sisters, as you share to those who don't know them, they can be saved. If you're visiting and you just don't know where you're at, there is a gospel for you. God will meet you To give the power to believe. Now, notice, here's an interesting portion now as Peter goes on. This is the faith, believing in the gospel, and now he says, the same kind as ours. It's interesting. Peter says that. Do you remember? He's writing to a mixed crowd who have been persecuted, and he wants to establish unity with them. He says, my faith is like your faith. Your faith is like my faith. And he uses this term, isotimos. Now, if you remember your geometry, some of you don't, some of you do, your geometry, an isosceles triangle, that that means that they were, yeah, Jojo nods, yeah, I know what that is, Uncle Angelo, right? An isosceles triangle is a triangle with two equal sides, correct? And so, ISO isotimos means uh, iso and then timos means honor or glory and so iso means to be equal to or equivalent and timos means s- the same kind, the equal privilege, the equal honor and here's a, here's a profound and encouraging truth that every believer every believer who has placed their faith in Christ and in him alone all share in the same supernatural faith all given by God with all equal heavenly privileges such that there is no demarcation of This is a lesser Christian, this is a greater Christian, this is a Christian who has more gifts and more talents and everything so that now we need to honor them even more, whereas another Christian, well their faith may not be as good. This is a, this is, this eradicates any kind of second tier Christian. This is a good Christian, this is a bad Christian. This means that those who are in Christ have the same faith. And I think what's interesting is Peter, as the apostle, he knows his title comes with all this clout. This was the greatest movement that the world has ever seen afterwards. He knows his name as Peter, the apostle, comes with a lot of clout. And he says to them, I'm just like you. We have the same faith equal in all its status even though I walked with Christ go to Colossians chapter 3 and you'll see Colossians chapter 3 This is how Paul writes, and he echoes Peter in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. He talks about this renewal. This is that regeneration, salvation. He says this renewal, chapter 3, verse 11, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. Wow. He just bridged the gap right there. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, that's those barbarians up on the north, right? Slave and free, wow. It crosses status, it crosses religious backgrounds, it crosses Jew and Greek distinction. And then he says, But Christ is all and in all. You'll see this is what Peter was taught by Christ himself and how he had to teach. The church, because the church was bigoted. Go to, um, if you recall, go to, go to Acts chapter fifteen. Acts chapter fifteen. If you remember, this comes after Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius and his household, and all of them got saved, and then people were mad. Why did you share the gospel with Gentiles? How dare you go to their house? And Peter is explaining to them what God has himself, through the vision, through Christ, has taught him, and what must now take place in the local church. He says in Acts chapter 15, notice in Acts chapter 15 and verse 5, they asked him, They ask him to speak up. So Peter, the apostles and the elders, verse 6, Acts chapter 15, verse 6. They came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, notice they're fighting. The argument is, should we let them into our church? Wow. Should we let those, those people, that's how they viewed it. Should we let those people into our church? And so Peter goes, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart, verse 8, testified to them giving them the holy spirit again where does salvation ultimately come from it comes from god right just as he also did to us and he made no distinction between us them us and them cleansing their hearts by faith that's clearly regeneration clearly salvation now therefore why do you put god to the test By placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. That is the keeping of the law. No one could do it. Notice, look at verse 11. This is where Peter was completely changed. And this is why he had to make a policy change in the church. He said here, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating to signs and wonders God had done through the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, the Bible clearly says the same faith as ours. This is precisely why Peter is talking about the unity of the church. I don't like to be called... um, this may offend people, but I, 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 folks say, what kind of a, what kind of a, they actually talk like this. You may not believe me, but this is how they talk. They, they say, is it a white church? Is it a Filipino church? Is it a Mexican church? I am not into that at all. Why? Because the Bible leaves no room for this anymore. We are of the same faith. As ours. That's why my sister is from the Midwest. She's my sister. My brother was born in the Philippines. He's my brother. I've got, uh, I've got brothers and sisters. They're from Puerto Rican descent. That's my sister. That's my brother. Mexican descent. That's my brother. That's my sister. They have the same faith as ours. Do you see the implications and how the church has ruined this teaching? This should obliterate racial divisions, sin, looking down at each other. Oh, that's the way they were raised. Oh, look at them, brothers and sisters. We have the same faith. We have the same Lord. And Peter who would go to Cornelius' house, at first, this is what he would do. I ain't touching that food. Get that lobster away from me. That shrimp, that unclean stuff, which we would say, what are you talking about? I love seafood, right? I'm not touching it. It's always about food. Right? I told you, always, fighting is always about food. It's always about food, right? I'm not touching it. And then, Jesus himself with the sheet that comes down tells him that which was unclean is now clean arise kill eat and it is a mark that changes everything that all people should be included in the church so brothers and sisters that's what we gotta be not blind to the differences that God has made It has made us into but rather a pursuit of anyone who would listen to the gospel regardless of the background economic area they come from how they grew up regardless now he goes into this that this faith when believed and practiced biblically puts an end to all ethnic divisions In the body of Christ. Now, the next phrase here, he says, By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is interesting. It's by the righteousness. This is speaking clearly about the imputed righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness of Christ. When I say the word imputed, Some of you know what that means. Others may look at say, "Are you making up words?" No, imputed simply means that it is accounted to you. So, say for instance, you went a little crazy during Christmas, and you use your credit card, and you bought a bunch of stuff, and you have a loving person, maybe your dad. No, I didn't do this. Okay, But maybe your dad or someone says, I will give you all of my cash to pay that debt that you have by imputing upon you my money. And so it gets cleared out. And so with this in mind... What God is saying in the imputed righteousness of Christ. He's saying this debt that you have with no righteousness. This debt that you have. When you come to Christ. When you come to him and you believe in him and you repent of your sins. This righteousness. This holiness. This this untaintable godliness that you needed to completely do. All of the works of the law is now credited to your account. The righteousness of the God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It is what is talked about in Romans chapter 4. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Peter is talking about this great salvation that all of your sins have been paid, brothers and sisters. All of it by past sins, there are sometimes some Christians may come in here and they may, th- they may be taught something, they may be taught from a church that says, "Oh, all of your past sins are paid, but now that you're a Christian, you've got to live a perfect life. Brother and sister, let me tell you, you're not going to make it. I could feel good on one Sunday because I heard the righteousness of Christ, and on Monday sinned heinously. and I'm done. We need the perfect righteousness of Christ. And this is, the, this is what it means in uh, Romans chapter 4. Notice he says, What shall we then say, Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, that means declared righteous by works, then he has something to boast about, not, not before God. So what he's saying is this, If you do, if you can earn your salvation, if there is something good in you that you could earn your salvation, then you can actually say, yeah, I did it. I'm saved. But what does Scripture say? It's not the case. Abraham believed God, had faith in God, the same faith as ours. That's amazing. All history It's always been in this one that was coming. Abraham believed God, and it was what? Credited to him as righteousness. It's simply saying, I trust you, Christ. I trust what you've done for me. And Christ imputes it or credits it to your account. Completely. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. That's all you get. You think you're going to earn your salvation? Go ahead and try and work for it. That's all you're going to get. That's not going to be paid. He says in verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And what he's saying here is simply by believing in. In the shed blood of Christ, he says that all of that righteousness has been credited to your behalf. Or look at it it another way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. So Peter, as we talked about it, he is already starting to establish that all of this, brothers and sisters, is a gift, is grace. You didn't earn it. You got to think in those terms. God has given you all these things. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul now talks about the same imputation, the same crediting. He says, He who made him, he made him who knew no sin. He's saying, God accounted to Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what he's saying is that Christ took on all of our sins, though being sinless Himself. Took all of our sins and placed it on Him. And all of Christ's righteousness was placed upon us. And therein lies the essence of the gospel. And you cannot earn this, you cannot earn. Do anything to attain it. All you simply need to do is have an open hand of faith. Salvation is given as a gift in every respect. The sacrifice is given by God. That is Jesus. The faith, as we've seen, given by God, even to believe in Him. Was given by God. Right. And now the righteousness. Is given by God. Isaiah sixty-one, ten says. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with righteous. clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with robes of righteousness. Amen. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself. With jewels. Brothers and sisters. We wear the robes of the righteousness of Christ. And then he goes to God and Savior Jesus Christ. God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say God the Father. He says God and Savior Jesus Christ. All the blessings from God All the promises in God, all the righteousness of God, come through the God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is once again a confession. We might skim through this, but this is a confession of the deity of Jesus. This is the essence of faith in Christ. It is recognizing and loving and submitting to who he is. It is what Peter saw, remember, in the boat when he told him to put the nets on the other side... Simon answered him and said Master we worked hard all night caught nothing but I will do as you say and lay down the nets and as they had done this they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break so they signaled to the partners to the other boat for them to come and help them and they came and filled both of the boats and so they began to sink and Simon Peter saw that and he fell at Jesus feet and said go away from me Lord for I am sinful. It is when Peter finally recognized who this Jesus is. And he recognized, by virtue of that, that I'm sinful. It's what he confessed with his lips in Matthew 16. And Jesus asked, some say John the Baptist, who do do men say that I am? And, And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah as one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. The Son of the Living God. And it's what Peter preached in Acts chapter four, verse twelve, when he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must save. He is who wrote the letter, he is who he is who died for him, and he is who you, brothers and sisters, should be reveling in and worshiping that you have that same faith that peter himself had in this great god who washes all of your sins away let's pray father we are so grateful for your righteousness and your love we're grateful that you have died your son has died for us our great god and savior jesus christ Thank you for imputing your righteousness upon us. We pray, Lord, that we would not shudder, take a back step, but trust fully in the salvation that we have in Christ. Lord, let us be a people so filled with the word of God that our minds, whenever things happen in life, the difficulties, the persecution, the trials, that our first view would be, I am Christ, my sins have been forgiven, and he controls all things. Let us be a people who not only say that, but practice that. God, would you help us to sing with exuberance and with joy, because all of our sins have been paid for by the righteousness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.